0: This is a a mini-series of teachings. It's got three parts, and I'm going to be um, sharing these three parts over the next few weeks. And this is a, a series that I've, I've shared once at Pastor Tim's meeting at the beginning of this year in January. And it, oh my goodness, it was just stirring and stirring and stirring in me. And when I was able to put aside the, the study that we just completed and know that that's going to be, um, we'll, we'll do it again in the fall. But it was like, okay, God, what do you want me to share? And this is what it was like, oh, I would love to share this with you guys. So I'm very excited. As you know from the word, the truth, the good news that we share all the time. Sorry, Kent, (laughs) I forgot, he's filming now. I have to stay up here. Okay, as you know from the Bible study that we just finished and what we share all the time, there are two major components, two major truths that are so important. The first one is that God already did the work of healing. The first truth is that it is God's will to heal. It's in his word His word is his will, and it was accomplished through Jesus. When Fran was praying at the beginning, she spoke a a beautiful truth in her prayer, and she said that all judgment was put on Jesus, including sickness. And it's already done, it's past tense. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. Before we even needed healing, we were healed. Before we were even born. We were healed, all of our needs were already met. The second major truth is that our part is to believe his part. Our part is to believe the finished work, that's faith. Today, and for the next three weeks, I'm going to be sharing um, kind of a continuum of faith. Faith, I'm gonna define it in a minute, according to the word, but I'm going to share three more pieces that are like a continuum or steps of faith. So I'm going to talk about the basic foundation of faith, but then today I'm going to talk about trust. And the next time I'm going to talk about hope. And the third time I'm going to talk about action. So this three-part teaching is trust, hope, and action. And you'll see how each one builds on the previous one. So the first one is trust. The power of trust. The power of trust. So many believers today, including me, until I studied this out, many of us confuse faith in God with trusting God. But they're actually not quite the same. Faith is a noun. The word faith is a noun. Faith is something that you have or something that you possess. In Hebrews 11.1, one, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. So a substance is a noun. Evidence is a noun. Faith, in, in the context that we're talking about, because you can have faith in doctors, you can have faith in medicine, you can have faith in yourself, but the faith that we're talking about is faith in, in God faith and confidence in him believing in him first of all believing in God and believing in his word believing in his promises and believing that he can and will do what his word says that's what faith is faith is being fully persuaded in God and in his word and that he can and will fulfill his promises. The study, the, the Bible study that, about healing, it's a 10-session study for the new ladies. It, the title is God Says Yes, We Say Amen, He Heals Today. And it's based on the scripture in Corinthians that says all of the promises, all of the promises in the word, God says yes to those promises. And our part is to respond amen, which means Yes, God, I agree with you. So be it done unto me. So that's faith. Faith is believing the truth. Faith says, I know him, I believe him. You don't have to understand him in order to believe. Trust, on the other hand, trust is a verb. Trust is something you do or act upon. Faith comes first, but trust doesn't necessarily come second. Trust isn't guaranteed. Having faith doesn't necessarily mean that you trust, because faith is a choice. Faith is a deliberate action, and it grows out of faith. Trust is faith in action. It's the manifestation of our faith in either thought or action. That's why one of these, these teachings is going to be specifically about action. It's easier to have faith in God than it is to exercise trust in him. So what I'm going to do now to try to show you the difference or the, the extension or the, the greater degree of faith plus trust, I'm going to share two stories. Um, they're both true stories. The first story it took place in the 1800s. I'm going to share that story with you first. Then I'm going to share with you one of my own life stories to show you the, the, what faith is without trust and what faith is with trust. So the first story is uh, called The Great Blondin. So this story took place in the late 1800s, and there was a great performer named Jean-Francois Gravelot, and he was known as the Great Blondin. He was a daredevil, and he was a tightrope walker. One of his greatest stunts involved walking a tightrope high above the world-famous Niagara Falls. Blondin performed this death-defying feat more than once, and each time he added elements of difficulty. Once he even carried his manager on his back across the tightrope over the Niagara Falls. This man was quite a showman, and he had a knack for engaging the crowd and stirring the suspense and excitement. One time, after finishing an attempt, he asked the crowd if they believed he could do it a second time successfully. Well, they unanimously agreed he could. He was always looking to better his last feat, so Blondin now asked the crowd if they believed he could cross the falls on a tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow. Having seen his previous stunt and how seemingly easy it was for him, the crowd no doubt believed that he could do it. So again, the response was unanimous, and the crowd had no doubt that the great Blondin could do it. So see, they had faith in this guy. They had seen him do it, he did it easily, and they believed he could do it again. That's faith. They had faith that he could do it again. So Blondin was ready to attempt this amazing feat that only he could do. But before he set out on the rope, he had one last question for the crowd. Which of you will ride in the wheelbarrow? The crowd was frozen. They were still and they were silent. Not a single man or woman responded to his challenge. All of these people witnessed this man cross the falls on the rope. They had gained firsthand knowledge of his abilities. They had a well founded belief that he could perform a more difficult stunt. Yet when it came time to act on those beliefs, they were silent. They didn't trust him. They believed, they had faith, but they didn't trust him. Now, as I was reading this, some of the words stood out to me in this. This discussion about faith and trust. The first word was that they had witnessed him walking across the rope. The second is that they had first hand knowledge of his abilities. And the third was that they had well founded belief that he could perform a more difficult task. But they didn't trust him to put themselves in that wheelbarrow. That's where their trust. That's where they wheeled it back, and they said, no, can't do that. Even though they had experienced the goodness. I'm, I'm going to put it in the context of healing. Even though maybe we've experienced others' miracles, we've experienced the goodness of God, we've, we've first-hand knowledge, we believe, we know the word. But can we take that step and trust? Now I want to share my own story. Um, I have two brothers, and both of my brothers are pilots, My oldest brother, Rick, went to the Air Force Academy, and after he graduated from the Air Force Academy, he went to pilots training, and he was trained to fly B-52 bombers, which he did for 20 years. And he was a master pilot. He was very highly regarded and esteemed. By the time he retired, he had made as much rank as he could make. I think he was a lieutenant colonel, because he was really good at what he did. Everybody, absolutely, that flew with him knew he was an excellent pilot. When he retired, he loved flying, so he bought a small private plane. I trusted Rick to fly in his plane. He had a great background, he knew his stuff, he was highly regarded in the Air Force, I would get in a plane with him in a heartbeat and fly with him. My second brother, Dennis, did not go to the Air Force Academy, he did not was not trained by the Air Force. Um, but he wanted to fly. It was a desire of his heart. So he went and he got his pilot's license, and he also purchased a small plane. Actually, he had his small plane before my other brother. He purchased a small plane. He had lots of um, interesting stories <laughs> about flying, and um, they weren't all good stories. Um, one example, um, He had, at that time, his daughter was very young, probably junior high age, and he took his daughter and her girlfriend just for a Saturday morning ride, and when he got in the plane and took off, as soon as he took off, the plane engine died, and he had to do an emergency landing without an engine. And when he landed and checked everything out, he came to find out that there was no gas in the engine. There was no gas in the plane. He had gassed it up the night before, after he flew, and he didn't do the check. You always do the check. Pilots always are supposed to do the check. But he didn't. Somebody had siphoned the gas, and he didn't have any gas. That was only one story. There were numerous others where he had close calls. I never have flown with my brother, Dennis. He's asked me many times, and I say, no, 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 don't ask again, I'm not flying with you. I don't trust Denny <laughs> as a pilot. I trusted Rick, but I didn't trust Denny. I had faith they were both pilots. I had faith they both did their, their, you know, their licensing, and they were legal to fly. I had faith they both had airplanes, but I didn't have faith to get in Denny's plane. I didn't have trust to get in Denny's plane, but I did in Rick's because I trusted my brother Rick but not my brother Denny. I love my brother Denny a lot. I just wouldn't fly with him. So now what I want to point out, we're going to go back to this teaching, I want to show you and me, and I want to just refresh and encourage you and I of reasons why we can trust God. I have reasons why I can trust Rick to fly. I have way bigger reasons why I can trust God. Here's my first reason. Because he loves us. I can trust him because... I know, personally, I know God's love for me. 1 John four sixteen says, We have come to know the personal, by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides continually in him. At the beginning of the scripture, it uses the word know. It says we've come to know the love of God. That word know is a really powerful word. There are two partner words. This is the Greek. There's also a partner word we're going to look at later in another scripture in in the Hebrew. Both words have a very similar meaning. And it means to know through experience it means to know intimately. it means to know because you've encountered the love of God you've experienced the love of god there's a big difference between um a, a love like I have for my husband, where I know him so very well, and the 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 Christian love that I might have for some of the people I minister to. There's a different depth of love. This kind of knowing is a deep, deep knowing of the love of God. And it can grow and progress throughout your walk, throughout your life, the knowing of the love of God, this personal observation and experience of the love of God. Because we know and have believed We have come to know and have believed. The believing part is the faith part. With a deep, consistent faith, the love that God has for us. That's one of the reasons we can trust God is because we know his love. There's a quote that I I say a lot because I love this quote. It's from the author of The Shack. And the the quote is, trust, we're talking about trust today. Trust is, is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you're loved. Because I know I'm loved by God, I trust him. We're going to talk about what that trust looks like in a minute. Because I know I'm loved, I can trust my God. Here's another reason why we can trust God. Because he's faithful. Psalm 89, 8 says, O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you as an intrinsic, unchangeable part of your very being. You see, the faithfulness of God is part of his character. It's intrinsic. It's not based on external stuff like how good we are or how much we do. No, it's intrinsic. It's unchangeable. It can't be separated from God. His faithfulness is who he is. It's part of who he is. And that word faithful, this is a definition. It means he's worthy of trust. We're talking about trust today. We can trust God because of his faithfulness. He's worthy of our trust. It means that he can be relied on. That's another definition of faithfulness. It means we can rely on him. And it means that he shows himself faithful to his word. The faithfulness of God is is, um, shown to us through his faithfulness to his word. He shows himself faithful to his promises. We already talked about the scripture that says all of my promises Shiloh, Shil- Shil- all of my promises are yes. I'm faithful to my promises. This is what I have for you, daughter. This is what I have for you, son. This is your inheritance. I don't renege. This is yours. It's set in stone. It's yours. He's faithful to his word. It's a given. You can count on it. You can put it in the bank. It's yours. And here's the third reason why we can trust in God. And there's a lot more than three reasons, but these are the three I'm sharing today. He's a good, good father. He's a good daddy. In Psalm 100, verse 5, the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. We're talking about trust. We can trust in him when we taste and see his goodness. And those words, taste and see, mean experience and perceive. It's, it's like we, through our life, we, we are a human being and we have senses. And tasting and seeing are very, very strong senses that we have. But when we taste and see the goodness of God, it's experiencing his goodness and then perceiving that he's good when we experience and perceive his goodness trust results trust is a result i want to share just a teeny bit about my very beginning journey with god when i was first diagnosed that's when i came to know jesus personally that's when i started spending time with god for the first time in my life 15 years ago I had never had a prayer life. I had never read the Bible until then. When I started reading the Word, when I started abiding in God and in His Word and allowing His Word to abide in me, I didn't know how. I just showed up. I just got up in the morning and sat in my chair and opened my Bible and opened my mouth and and did my best. That's all it took. That's all it took. And God started showing Himself how good showing me, how good he was, how faithful he is, how much he loves me. I started to experience things that I'd never experienced before. I started to experience prayers answered, now, not, not huge things all at once, but little things, lots and lots of little things that I'd never noticed before. Maybe God was doing all sorts of things, but I had never paid attention. I'd never tasted and seen. I had never experienced and perceived. But I had never sought God that way before either. As soon as I started seeking him, I started seeing the result in a major way. This is what I've said to many people. That was the evidence of my salvation. When I prayed for salvation, I, I followed what the word said. I did what the word said. The word said, if you believe in your heart and declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And I did that. My friend led me in a prayer of salvation four days after I I received the stage four cancer diagnosis. And I did that. But this experience showed me the evidence of my salvation. Because all of a sudden I had this good daddy. All of a sudden I felt, so loved. He was taking such good care of me through that really difficult season of my life. The, the oppression lifted. I had a peace that passed all understanding. He was walking with me through every step. Every little detail, he was helping me to make decisions and, and have peace through the decisions. and Just every step. And I, it's all in my book. All of those little tiny things are in my book. But I was tasting and seeing the goodness of God. The second scripture I want to share about our good daddy is Matthew seven eleven, And this scripture comes after this, the part of the word where it says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And then it goes on and it says, um, if your own son asks for an egg, will you give him a stone? Or if your son asks for bread, will you give him a snake? And I might not be using the right words, but you get the idea. And of course you don't. You love your children. You're going to give them good gifts, right? So that's the context. And then this listen to this scripture. If you then, evil or sinful by nature as you are, or you could say a natural man, if you know how to give good and advantageous gifts to your children, how much more? Will your father, and I'm going to say how much more will your good father, who's in heaven, perfect as he is, give what is good and advantageous to those who keep on asking him? So think about it. Think about your own children or grandchildren. And think about how much you love them and how much you want to help them and do what's good for them. You're a mother's heart a father's heart, a grandparent's heart, is to take care of all your kids' needs if you could only do it. And sometimes when they grow up, it's like you just want to say, okay, just listen, I have some really good news, just put it in there and live it. Doesn't always work that way. But we, if we could, we would. If we could, we would do anything to help our children, in this story, I told Kathy before the meeting, but I'm gonna share it. I told her I was gonna share it today, so she gets to hear it twice. When I was um, diagnosed with cancer, it was, um, I was diagnosed on a Wednesday, and on Thursday, I had a scheduled trip to visit my parents in Alabama where they wintered on Orange Beach or wherever that was in Alabama, and I kept my, my plans. So the day after I got that diagnosis, I left count, which you guys know know that I don't like leaving my husband for anything. He went to Florida to visit his dad, who had just had a stroke. It was a really rough time in our life. I went to visit my parents with a stage 4 cancer diagnosis, and I wasn't saved yet, so I had so much fear that it was just suffocating me. And I was with my mom and my dad, and they were just so, so, so um, concerned for me. And my mother said this to me, and I'll never forget it. She said, Cindy, I would give anything to trade places with you. I would give anything if that cancer was in me and you didn't have it. She said, if I could do that, I would do it in a heartbeat. That's a good mother. That's what all mothers who love their children would say. But today when I was preparing this, God showed me, I don't know why I never saw this before, but he showed me, he did that. He did that. My mother said, if I could only trade places with you, Jesus did. He did trade places with me. He did take the cancer and give me health. But he didn't do it just for me. He did it for all of his children. God sent Jesus to take sickness for us so that we can be whole. He did trade places with us. He's a good, good father. The scripture, when you look at the words in the scripture, it says, and I don't think I put this in yours, but you can write it in your notes. It says, how much more? That's the key words in there. If, you're, if your if mom and dad, if you are a good parent and you want to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? Your father who is in heaven, as perfect as he is, wants to give what is good and advantageous to those who ask him. Healing is a good gift. It's one of the gifts of redemption. It's part of our inheritance. He wants us to have it. Our part is to receive it. He's already paid for it. He's already gifted it to us. Our part is to receive it. He loves us. And that's the basis for our healing. Not our works. Not our performance. Isn't that good news? Because the Father loves you, he has freely provided all the healing you'll ever need through Jesus' death and resurrection. He's a good, good father. So those are just three reasons. I had a bunch more, but I had to make my message shorter because I always go too long. Those are three really good reasons to trust God. So what I want to do now is I want to give, we're going to go to one awesome scripture about trust. And then I'm going to give you some practical steps, how to walk it out. But first I want to go to this scripture. This is God's scriptural direction for us how to trust, or what to trust in. So this is Proverbs 3, 5. Oops. Sorry. Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. You guys have heard me teach this scripture a lot of times. We're going to go a little bit deeper today. That word trust, another, another um, word that we can put for trust, or along with trust, to help, understand it is the word anchor or security anchor or security in my amplified translation this the first line of the scripture says lean on rely on trust in and be confident in the lord with all your heart so that word trust is also leaning on God, letting him be your security, letting him be your anchor and keeping you steadfast. That which you lean on gives you support. If I lean on this table, this table supporting me, I don't have to support my own weight. The thing that you lean on supports you. So this scripture tells you what to lean on and what not to lean on. And this is really important. Kathy, this is exactly what we were talking about. God says, lean on me. Don't lean on your own understanding. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He says, lean on me with all your heart. Let me be your support. Let me be your security. Let me be your anchor. And then he says, don't lean on your own understanding. That is your own reasoning, your own figuring things out, your own research, your own planning, your own worry, your own control. Don't lean on you. Lean on him. Because when we lean on ourselves, we're putting our faith in ourselves. So here's one of the definitions of trust. Trust is leaning on God letting him support you, surrendering to him, getting off of your own soapbox and saying, okay, I'm I'm independent, I can do this, I'm tough. There's nothing wrong with being a fighter. But sometimes we do it to such an extent that God doesn't get to be God. Listen to this. What you connect to from your heart. Okay, I want to back up for a sec. There's two body parts in the scripture. In the first line, it talks about heart. In the second, it talks about understanding. And I'm going to just point to your brain. Okay? Heart, brain. Now let me read this. What you can connect to from your heart is so much bigger than what you can connect to with your mind. We are limited I think scientists say we only use a small percentage of our mind. We're not that good at it. Some people are better than others. (laughs) I'm very simple. Okay, so what you can connect to from your heart is much more than you can connect to from your mind. And if you put your mind first, you've reduced God to your size. If you put your mind first, you've reduced God to your size. God's a whole lot bigger than me. He's got a whole amazing, bigger, better plan than I could figure out. One thing that I've seen over and over and that I'm in awe of is that when I see in hindsight how God ordains paths and heals bodies and takes care of people and children and everything, it's so much better than I could have figured out. My plan, my best dreams don't come close to the true thing that God really does or did. Because he's so much bigger, so get your little tiny brain out of the way, your understanding your reasoning, your research, and let God be God. lean on him don't don't lean on yourself and then proverbs three six the very next verse says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That word acknowledge is the partner word, the Hebrew partner to the word no, in the Greek. They are both sometimes translated as the word K N O W, no. This Hebrew word is Yada. Yada. Y A D A. And it means to know intimately, it means interaction. To know God through interaction, through communion with Him. It means to know him through encounter, through experience. The scripture says, in all your ways, know him that way. When it says all your ways, it mean, that means every facet of your life. Every facet. Whether you're sick or well, whether you're a mom or a, or a grandma, whether you uh, have a career or whether you stay at home. Every aspect of your life, know him, commune with him, exchange with him. Be intimate in your life with him in every area of your life, no matter what season you're in. You can be with him as a four-year-old. I see my, my grandson knowing God in his little way. And I see my, my son, who's in his 30s, knowing God in a different way. And I see myself as a grandma, knowing God in a different way. No matter what season you're in, God says, know me intimately, commune with me. And when we do, it says, he shall direct your paths. Notice there's an S at the end. All of the paths of your life. And that word direct means he'll make crooked places straight. And rough places smooth. That's good news. So, as we lean on Him for our anchor and let Him be our support, that's trust. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. Be confident in Him. Get out of His way. Let Him into every facet of your life. I'm going to give you a couple just quick examples because all of us have the same, you could all. Give me the same examples. I have a lot of roles in my life. I'm a mother. As a mother, believe me, I commune with God about being a mother all the time. I want to be a good mother. I want to be the kind of mother to my daughter that my father, God, is to me. I want to be unconditional love to my children. I want to give them everything like my father wants to give me. I want to provide their needs the best that I can. I pray about my kids. I go to God and ask him questions, guidance, wisdom about being a mother. I do the same thing about my my role as a wife. With God in our marriage, oh my gosh, it's so much much better than two people being married. (laughs) Because I have God, we have God in our marriage so we allow god to to interact with us as a married couple we pray together we talk together about, about our our walk with god we, our concerns our 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 where we're growing where we're being corrected we that's we do it together we do life together with god i'm also an author Believe me, I didn't author any of those books by myself. It was interaction with God. Prayer, daily basis. Asking for Holy Spirit to anoint me, to get the words out, the way that would, you know, spread the truth, get the the good news out there. I remember when I wrote the first book, I would write a section and then in the evening I would read it. And I would just weep. Because this isn't me. This is way more than me. This is God. This is the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I used to think that that meant, in all your ways, give him the credit for what he does. But that's not what that word acknowledge means. That word means to know him, exchange with him, commune with him in every facet of your life. Let him Be part of what you are doing in every aspect of your life. I'm also a teacher. I don't teach without God. It's all him. A little bit of me and the rest him. And there's prayer involved. Yes, there's prayer involved in my teaching because I always pray before I come. I always pray. Kent and I always pray on the way here. I prepare by studying the word and renewing my mind so it's not me it's a communion of god with me and that's the same every one of you could go through your life and say am i including god in this in this part am i including god in this part am i including god in this part in all your ways acknowledge him and just watch watch him direct your path make the crooked way straight and the and the and the rough places smooth amen okay What I'd like to do now is to share four practical steps to grow in this thing called trust, which is taking the the firm foundation of belief and choosing to lean on God, choosing to trust him in the midst of every situation. So number one is to surrender constantly. Surrender yourself in all of your life to God all of your troubles, and all of your joys. Surrender to God. It's the first step, but it's also an ongoing, continuing requirement to live a lifestyle of trusting God. Surrender. Oh, I I love to surrender. I actually love to surrender, because I just feel like I don't have to do it then. I let God do it. I surrender a lot. So every day we must consciously lay aside our own plans and expectations and surrender to his plans. It just takes a huge burden off. They have to be me. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7 say, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate... Um, Let me see. I'm not reading this very well. I'm going to start over. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. I'm going to pause for a minute there. So when we humble ourselves, what we're doing is we're letting go of control and surrendering. It's humbling to do that. It's humbling to let go and to take your hands off and to let God be God. And then God says, cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. I do this on a very consistent basis. I just surrender. I dedicate my days to God. I dedicate my, my um, seasons of life. If I have anything that I'm working on, I dedicate it to God. I surrender it to God, and, and I just say, God, I'm just letting you be God. I trust you. I use that word all the time. I trust you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. Once you stop trying to do things in your own strength, God will take over and lift you to new heights. It says he will exalt you. That's what happens. When you get out of the way and trust, on, trust God, you are lifted to new heights. I have witnessed that time and time and time and time again. Second practical step goes right along with number one and that is don't depend on you. Don't depend on yourself. In this world that we live in, the enemy has conned us into this great big lie. And the lie is, you've heard me say this before if you've heard me teach much, the lie is that independence is good. That being in complete control of your own life, those are powerful, personal attributes. That's what the world says. That's not what God says. The world's view is that when you work hard and you achieve goals and you reach certain levels of whatever, that you should be proud of yourself because you work to earn it. God says, yes, rejoice. Yes, be thankful. But be thankful in me and the gifts that I've given you and enabled you to to grow up in and give God the glory. You couldn't have done all that without him. I mean, I look, at, and that's true with all of us. When we look at where we've come from, it's like, oh God, thank you. The, op, the world's view is it's really good to be in control of everything, to be an in-control person. God says, no, let me be in control. Submit. Submit to me. That means yield to him. Yield to him instead of being in control yourself. And the third area is independence. Independence scene is so powerful. But God says no. Be dependent. Dependent. Not independent, but dependent. Hebrews 4, I'm sorry, James 4, verses 7 and 10. This is what it says. Submit to the authority of God. There's that word Submit resist the devil stand firm against him and he'll flee from you notice it says first submit to god then resist the devil and he'll flee verse and then i'm skipping to 10 verse 10 humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the lord and he will exalt you he will lift you up and he will give you purpose the analogy that i love to share about submitting and letting God be in control is that of a master carpenter. My husband is a master carpenter and so gifted at what he does. And in order to do that, he has tools, really good tools. He can't make anything without those tools. He needs the tools but those tools sitting in the workroom will not create anything unless they 're in my husband 's hands they 're useless unless they 're in his hands. but if they 're in his hands, he can create beautiful things. How many of you are Facebook friends with Kent? Anybody Facebook friends with Kent? You can have a friend of my husband. You see all this you see the studio he 's building for our son yeah he 's been working building a recording studio for a while and it's oh, it 's coming together it 's beautiful. And he and Adam have done it all with his hands, their hands, and their tools. Now listen to this. Likewise, in order for God to create a masterpiece in us, we need to put ourselves in his hands. We need to surrender ourselves into his care and give up our independence and become dependent on him. That's our part. Get out of his way. Don't depend on yourself release yourself into his hands and then watch him create a masterpiece with you. So the first step is to surrender. The second step is to stop depending on yourself. And the third step is to put God first in your life. Seek God first. This is a very familiar scripture, but it's a really big one. Matthew 16:33 and I'm going to read it out of two different translations. First, I want to read the Amplified. But first and most importantly, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. So this comes out of the the context of scripture where it talks about worrying about all the little details of life. And this is one of the culminating verses. It says, just seek God first. Seek God, seek his kingdom of light. Seek him first. And all those other details will be taken care of. In the Message Bible, it says, steep yourself, steep your life. The word steep means saturate yourself in. Think of a tea bag steeping in the water. Saturate your life with God reality, God initiative, God provisions. God reality, God provision, and God initiative. Not world reality, not Cindy's provision and Cindy's initiative. God, reality. This is real. This is truth. God provision, His His inheritance for us. His provision, God initiative. He did the work. We don't have to initiate it. We don't have to do it. Steep yourself in Him. Don't worry about missing out you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So I I recommend that you take a look inside. Look at your own priorities. You say, am I doing that? Am I steeping in God? Or am I steeping in me? Am I steeping in the world? Or am I steeping in the word? Here's a big question. Where do you spend most of your time, your talent, and your resources? That's a good question kind of a good aha moment sometimes do you invite god into every facet of your life that goes back to proverbs 3 6 in all your ways acknowledge him do you do life with god do you co-labor with him wherever you are put god first and it doesn't mean that that you know it you need to set aside this huge big chunk of time just put god first Put God first in your marriage. Put God first in, in your mothering. Put God first in your career. Put God first in your, in your, in your healing journey. <laughs> Put God first. One of Kent's and my biggest um, frustrations is when God is the last resort. And people come when they're so very, very, very sick. And it's like they've tried everything else and then they decide to, to come and seek god god says seek me first and he'll take care of everything else and the last the last point the last practical thing that we can do to grow in trust and that is to rest in god's love rest in god's love the scripture that i've given to you and it is on your sheet I wanted to share this one it's from the passion translation. The Passion Bible is a heart level translation that's the way the author describes it. It's not word by word, it's not Greek translated to English or Hebrew translated to English. It's the heart of the message translated into our language. So it it I definitely when I teach I teach from New King James and I teach from Amplified. I'm not tied to any specific translation but i often like to go to the message or the passion just to hear a new voice and to hear the heart of god in modern language so listen to this this is from ephesians chapter three the chapter that talks about the depth and breadth and the height and the width of the love of god so when i think of the wisdom of his plan i kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father, the good Father of every father and every child in heaven and on the earth. And then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source of, and root of your life, providing you with a secure foundation that grows and grows. Don't change the slide yet because I want to settle here for a minute. So it says in this scripture, it says, by constantly using your faith. Guys, that's trust. Trust is using your faith. Trust is faith in action. Trust is relying and leaning on God with all your heart. And when we do that, when we constantly say, I trust you, God, every day, when we constantly surrender, when we constantly get out of God's way and let God be God, when we constantly use our faith, the life of Christ that's in us is the resting place of his love. And it becomes the very source, the very anchor, the very root of our life. And it provides us with this foundation. This is the foundation where we grow and we grow. The foundation of knowing his love. The foundation of letting his love be the very source and the root of your life. Now I'm going to go on to the next slide. Listen to this. Then, as your spiritual strength increases, guys, that's good news. If you're at a place, I'm always at this place, and we should always be, where we are, we need more. We, we're seeking more. We want to know God more. Maybe you're feeling weak right now. Maybe you're feeling lost. Maybe you're feeling depressed. Whatever it is, God says, when you get this root of love in there, this foundation of love, your spiritual strength increases and you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. And here it is. This is what you experience. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. And now listen to some of these dimensions that the Bible tells us about. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. That's spiritual strength, that's empowerment. That takes you out of poverty and into riches. That takes you out of sickness and into health. That takes you out of lack and into abundance. That takes you out of the thief's purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying. And into God's purpose of life and an abundance of life. An overflow of life that literally overflows everywhere you go. That's what I see in you, Olga. That's what I see in you. (laughs) I was praying today and you wouldn't get out of my head. (laughs) <laughs> I was seeing the love and the life that has been birthed in you. And, and this is why. Because the foundation of love is in you. Remember, trust. This is all about trust today. Trust is the fruit. Trust is the result of knowing the love of God. You can lean on him when you, when you know his love. You can you can surrender because you know he's faithful and he's going to catch you. He's going to be there to pick you up if you fall. He's going to be there to hold your hand. He's going to be there to carry you. He's going to be there to to cheer you on. He's going to be there to encourage you. He's going to be there to to help you make your decisions. He can be there for whatever you need. That's trust. Leaning on him and letting him take care of you he's a good good father he wants to we just have to let him we have to get over being grown up and get back into that position of being a child again and let god father us